I would like to call uh, the audit and compliance committee meeting to order. And if we could start with a roll call. Trustee Peterson. Here. And Trustee Shequin. Here. We do have a quorum. Okay. And then the first uh, action item is to approve our minutes from. Uh, I would move well, approval. I, I would second. Aye. <laughs> Aye. That's Mike. Okay. Okay. Uh, then we move to uh, a report on the external audit uh, by uh, Rick Kipler. Do I work? Yes. Sounds like it. Okay. So uh, because we changed the date, uh, both Brian and Liz had uh, other commitments, mm -hmm. and so they gave me their package, and I was going to. Uh, walk through it briefly just to see if there was anything uh, that was significant questions okay. and they said they would be happy to come to the next meeting to answer any questions if needed mm -hmm. otherwise they would see us in November okay so uh, that being said uh, you see the team uh, Brian is the partner on the job uh, Elizabeth Lanier is the manager. The other ones are people that participate. Oh. And her picture is not up there. No. Okay. Uh, audit manager didn't deserve picture, I guess. <laughs> but uh, the other ones participate in parts of the audit, but uh, our main constituents are Brian and Liz and uh, the audit team, and they've been here the last couple of years participating in the audit, so there's no major changes in the team. Okay, so uh, there was a couple of things that they wanted to address. Uh, auditor's responsibilities, uh, and then later they'll talk about significant audit findings. Uh, that's after they finish the audit. Uh, any difficulties uh, they encountered during the audit, uh, any misstatements, management representations, all those uh, required things that they have to communicate every year. Uh, so basically, since this is an issue uh, every year, I wanted to talk about their responsibilities. And primarily, that's to express an opinion on the consolidated financial statements uh, to make sure that they're fairly presented in all material aspects and in accordance with GAAP. And this question comes up every year when they start presenting, well, why didn't you look at this? Why didn't you look at that? And uh, their role is just to make sure that the numbers are supported and appear reasonable based on the analysis that they do. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> they will be uh, performing the audit uh, according to government auditing standards and uh, the standards issued by the AICPA. Uh, and you'll see that that gets pretty meaty when they start talking about all the new pronouncements that are coming out. Uh, they're going to look at internal controls, but that's really over the financial reporting and uh, compliance uh, issues as they uh, feel necessary to make sure that everything's supported. So they don't look at all the internal controls in the company. That would take forever, and we wouldn't have the fees that we do. Uh, and then to communicate any findings that they have uh, to the committee and make sure that we take some kind of corrective action to uh, mitigate those findings going forward. Rick, is that then your responsibility to, or is it the CFO's responsibility? Where does that lie, the following through with the findings? Uh, so they will uh, identify findings, make some recommendations. Uh, I will work with finance or whatever area I need to. Uh, it might be patient accounting that falls under finance, but primarily I'll be working with the CFO and the VP of finance to make sure we come up with an adequate corrective action plan, and then I will be monitoring that to make sure that it gets taken care of so that we don't have it come up as a repeat finding. Got it, and it goes on to your... Uh Report, uh, uh, report. I normally report that separately from my uh, other audit results because I want uh, the emphasis on this one instead of getting mixed in with a hundred other items. Okay, thank you. 
Okay. Uh, so. So do they? Uh, one question: do, do they audit things like revolving funds and patient, you know, pa patient valuable funds and stuff like that? Would that be part of what? Uh, they're doing? No. No. They would be looking at the materiality of yeah. the items, uh -huh. and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Uh, I got behind on this. Uh, so they're going to do look at some internal controls, uh, which includes some of our IT controls to make sure that uh, things are flowing through as they should. Uh, they're going to do some analytical procedures, uh, look at revenues and expenses and, and trends, uh, and then do some substantive procedures and confirm account balances, and primarily those will be with the county, uh, with our banks, uh, et cetera, to make sure that uh, the numbers we're reporting are accurate. Uh, so materiality. Trauma team to the ER, level 2 ETA, 4 minutes. Trauma team to the ER, level 2 ETA, 4 minutes. So they calculate that uh, every year, but essentially it's about $5 million. You know, it, if it doesn't come up to that level, they don't really look at it unless they think it's a significant uh, item okay. or they've heard rumblings that there's problems there. But they will, on your specific question, mm -hmm. they will, um, we do provide them, this is their work list, um, the bank statement for the trust account and the bank reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So they do look at it at that very high level, but they're not, they normally haven't delved down into what's the individual activity by the various resident funds that are held within the trust account. Yeah, we're, we're talking a billion dollars. They're not going to look at yeah. every little thing, but they're going to look at the uh, substantial items. So uh, what are some of those items? They're going to look at uh, our patient accounts receivable, our net patient revenue, uh, receivables and payables with the county, uh, the supplemental revenue programs, because those are some pretty high dollars, are Medicare settlements, which will be the cost reports. Uh, they're going to look at ACERA and other retirement plans to make sure that we've uh, booked things appropriately, because those are pretty big yes. numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, and look at our self-insurance portion of insured reserves to see that we're, you know, uh, booking things adequately and our compliance under the uniform guidance, which is our single audit stuff. And mm -hmm. while that really doesn't hit the materiality limit that we talked about earlier, because our, our uh, single audit, it covers about $5 million in uh, grants, but because it's grants and they're federal programs, they have to look at that and they actually do a separate audit of that. Right. Now, what, what about the um, Medi-Cal uh, cost reports, or at least the short delay of Medi-Cal, you know, cost reports, cost reports. They do look at all the cost reports. Okay. Uh, it's not just limited to Medicare? No. Okay. No. They look at all of them, and in fact, a couple of years ago, they actually found uh, some errors in the calculations. They, we copied a formula wrong and had some swings, a couple million dollars each way on several different cost reports. Uh, so they uh, scrutinized those pretty closely. Okay, they're also uh, obliged to look at fraud. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do a, a detailed fraud review, but they are going to make inquiries and, and uh, you know, talk to management, do some brainstorming, see what things uh, really could be uh, susceptible to fraud, and look at some of those areas, but not real deep. Okay, so deliverables, uh, we'll have a couple of reports at the end of all this. Uh, they're due at the November meeting. Uh, we'll have the uh, consolidated financials. Uh, we'll have the report to uh, management and, the, you know, do the special presentation to the audit committee on what the financials look like and what they found. and do their required disclosures. Okay. Uh, timeline, like I said, but we're going to be, they've already come in and done a little bit of work. Uh, they're going to do year-end work starting in August. Uh, they'll be back in September to do some more of that and do the uh, foundation uh, 
Mm -hmm. Should have all entries finalized in September. Push Ann to get the final uh, financials done. <laughs> and everything will be ready for the presentation in November. Okay, so there's a bunch of new uh, accounting standards and I'm not really up to speed on what all of these things are. I was hoping to get educated at this meeting, mm -hmm. uh, but GASB 85 uh, really talking about uh, post-employment benefits and some of the changes there, which they'll make sure that we uh, have taken into consideration in the financials. Uh, GASB 86, debt extinguishment issues. And I, I don't even know how many of these things really impact us. They're, yeah. they're showing the ones that could impact us. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll be looking during the audit to see if they do. Uh, GASB 84, fiduciary activities. Uh, I don't think that that one bothers us. Standalone business entities with pension and OPEB trusts. So we might need some follow-up on some of these things uh, mm -hmm. when the, they do come in. Mm -hmm. uh, GASB 88, uh, disclosures relating to debt. GASB 90, majority equity interests. Wow. Uh, GASB 87 on leases. 89 on interest costs incurred after the end of a construction period. That might impact us since we've mm -hmm. been doing a lot of construction. And then they point out a couple of other items that uh, they're doing exposure drafts that could impact us, but uh, those have not passed yet. So mm -hmm. that's a good thing with all the other things on our list. Okay. Okay. Uh, the rest of this presentation, uh, Moss Adams is uh, pretty much patting themselves on the back for how big they are and how <laughs> extensive their services are. I'm not going to go through all that. <laughs> they can promote themselves. Yep. I like your honesty. So, <laughs> are you planning to go to Vision 2020 with Carl Rove? Uh, no. <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> Uh, they invite me uh, every year to, to go to their healthcare conference, but uh, it's, I don't think that the subjects are that helpful in my position. Yeah. Unless I want to do uh, pre-work for their audit. Right. And I don't think that's what I'm here for. So that was really it for their presentation. Uh, other than some additional feedback on the uh, new accounting pronouncements was there anything that was uh, just a general just a general question uh, what year are we in a relationship with Moss Adams uh, so this is the fourth year fourth. that they've been here we had a three-year contract and we extended it one year I'm actually in the process of uh, soliciting proposals for a new three-year contract from uh, a variety of CPA firms to see if uh, there's somebody else out there uh, that would be worthy of considering. Uh, the last time when we did the RFP back in uh, 2015, we only got two responses. And Moss Adams was by far the, the better of the two. So I don't know if there's other firms out there that would be willing to do this at a reasonable price, but uh, I'm intending to find out and I will uh, present those. Um, I'm shooting to do that for the September meeting, but uh, it depends on how fast I get this uh, solicitation out. It might be the November meeting before I finalize it. Yeah, this, might, this might be a question for Mike. I mean, do you know if we have an obligation to uh, rotate our audit firm? I mean, Sarbanes-Oxley doesn't 
relate to a lot of entities. I'm not sure if it, where we fall. Yeah, yeah, there's no hard and fast rule. Um, it's um, in terms, and I think that we have just sort of adopted a three-year standard. Uh, three to four year standard is typically what we've done so and it's three to four years to review and determine whether or not to continue the relationship as opposed to three years and must change right okay so anyway you're going through a process to see whether there's anyone out there in addition to the existing other firm right and it's like Mike said there's no obligation to change mm -hmm. but uh, the fact that they changed the partners on our job uh, for last year, did they? It was kind of in the middle of the yeah, uh, second year, year they did it. Yeah. Uh, no, but it was was that, that could be very healthy, year. actually. Third year. Oh, oh yeah, in third year. Third okay, year. so oh, okay. they actually have changed uh, staffing to. And the primary reason that you change auditors is because you want a different set of eyes looking at things to right. see if they want to do things differently. And we saw a lot of that when we changed from the previous auditors, uh, MGO, to Moss Adams. They had a different way of doing the audit, uh, which we actually thought was a better way. Uh, so changing again, it could revert back to the you know old regime, or you know yeah. at least changing partners, you get a different slant on things. Yeah. Okay. So so just to be clear, you, so you do a reach out see if you can get responses. It's not a formal RFP process, in my understanding. I'm not process. going to do a formal RFP right. process. Uh, I'm going to identify uh, try as many as I can, you know, at least 10, if I can find that many that do hospital audits, mm -hmm. send them uh, some information, ask them to uh, give me a proposal. Mm -hmm. That's okay, so you will request proposals? Yes. Yeah. I, will, I will solicit proposals yeah and then you'll provide some general report back to this committee yes uh, what we find and if and then determine if we need to interview a couple of these firms or if they're way off I mean if, if they start coming in with uh, uh, half a million to a million dollars a year uh, yeah. I don't think that we can afford that and what's their current cost point uh, it's about a hundred and fifty thousand a year Jeez. That's what my organization's paying. It's going to be hard to beat that. It is. The, the other bid that we had last year wasn't even close. Or the last time I did the RFP. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it's good to go through a competitive process. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah we might be able to get that 150000 down. <laughs> 14999 <laughs> That's hard to imagine. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh, so... We'll talk about internal audit stuff. Uh, so one of the reports that I did was uh, Medicare and Medi-Cal FQHC audit. And so FQHC is that face-to-face -face visit for primary care, and we get a flat reimbursement, uh, which is more than we would have gotten for a primary care visit. So it's a, a good program for us uh, versus the fee-for-service and we had some issues actually identifying who should be which which clinics should be FQHC versus which shouldn't when it was set up years ago uh, they pretty much set up all the clinics as FQHC even the specialty clinics and some of those we would be losing money on uh, because reimbursement would be more than the flat rate that we get uh, because of the type of services like the infusion center which mm -hmm. we're doing significant chemo drugs mm -hmm. uh, so we resolved all those issues got everybody set up right uh, I did the review to make sure that everything really was set up right and that we were billing appropriately so you, you have an option of which clinics you want to include in the FQHC if it's primary care mm -hmm. It should be FQHC. Okay. If it's specialty, it should not be. It, it should okay. be fee for service. Mm -hmm. But there's issues with you know you have to make sure that it's on the license is FQHC, and the location is correct. And uh, there was a number of things that we had issues with when 
and we uh, fixed this a couple of years ago. Yeah, and if I could just sort of jump in. So <clears throat> I understand that, you know, our, our ability to access the FQHC program is by virtue of the fact that we are a subrecipient of a grant from the county. And so our FQHCs are FQHCs that are under Section 330H, which is for homeless, <coughs> under, oh, under the HRSA oh, regulations. Yes. And so that sort of goes to the question of whether or not the specialty services fall within, you know, the appropriate scope, you know, because the grant, you know, our FQHC status is based upon serving the homeless community. And so, you know, those places where we serve the homeless, we're also allowed uh, to bill at the FQHC rates for other patients seen at those places. But again, it has to be services which are medically necessary for a homeless population and not just a general, you know. so you know, places like La Clinic or, or, um, or Asian Health, which are FQHCEs, meaning that they see everybody, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's more right. just a, a specifically need-based, but ours has to be tied to the homeless population. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. Different. <coughs> okay, so changes were made in our FQHC program uh, back in April of 2018, and so we audited the three-month period after that to make sure that everything was uh, uh, billing appropriately. And while we didn't find any material issues, uh, there were some items noted. Uh, so the first one, uh, there's a differential rate. Uh, so once you bill Medi-Cal, uh, there was a, a, an FQHC differential that you could also bill that would reimburse us $119 per visit. And we identified 150 encounters that didn't have that. Okay. Uh, so that would have been 72,000 on an annualized basis. Uh, and so we worked with uh, the registration area to make sure that they were capturing those items correctly, do some additional training to make sure that uh, we don't leave this money on the table anymore. Okay, the next issue was that we were uh, billing some Medi-Cal encounters improperly. Uh, we had 51 encounters that were from specialty providers that were being billed as FQHC. Uh, we should have gotten two to five hundred dollars more depending on which provider it was and what the service was. Uh, so. We, we, again, had to do some additional education and make sure that we're registering people right. And a lot of times this is a manual override in the registration process. Uh, they don't want to go through the trouble of, of using the uh, system process that identifies the insurance. They assign the code and say it's, it's Medi-Cal, it's fee-for-service, uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. and it's like, no, stop it. Were you able to go back and rebuild for that? Uh, so the ones we did were past the timely filing okay. limit, okay. but uh, the, in some cases they were able to identify similar circumstances and rebuild uh, current claims. Okay. okay. Ultrasound uh, technical charges were missing a modifier, so they were all rejecting. Uh, this was a, a problem. We identified a number of these, and when we asked the, the registration area to uh, fix this problem, they went through and they identified 451 items and got an additional 135,000 in revenue by rebilling those codes. So it was like, yes. Uh, Number four, we had some Medicare encounters. So the rules for FQHC are slightly different between Medi-Cal and Medicare. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of looked at these separately and, and looked at all the transactions for that period. Uh, and so again, we had some Medicare claims that were specialty uh, providers and being billed as uh, uh, FQHC instead of being fee-for-service. Uh, so again, more education in the registration area to make sure that they know it's based on providers. 
and then number five, uh, just FQHC registration processing in general. Uh, there was really nobody overseeing that. It was like they trained them, they set them on the floor, they didn't look back. And so we just felt that they, they needed additional training, they need additional oversight. Uh, so we set up some training programs to make sure that they continue to look at those areas and, and make sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Okay. That, that's already taken place, I noticed it's here yeah. by me. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the next audit, patient trust accounts. Uh, so we hold a lot of funds for the residents at the long-term uh, care facilities and these, uh, there was certain regulations around how you're supposed to hold these and if it's over a certain amount you have to do interest-bearing accounts and uh, account for all this and, and actually allocate interest. If you don't have separate accounts for each resident you have to do a, a single account but allocate the interest income to each resident and then have a process for doling out funds as needed. And if somebody had over $2,000 accumulated, you had to figure out a way to get them to spend it down, otherwise they might lose their uh, Medi-Cal eligibility. So uh, a couple of issues there. Uh, so we looked at the account and uh, worked with uh, the accounting area to make sure that we got these uh, things set up and the appropriate account. Uh, so that should be done. I haven't gone back. Do you know if it's been done? Right, so they've completed the reconciliation. So that piece is completed. Okay. And um, the funds we have not opened up. Um, interest bearing it, account. Interest bearing accounts. I don't know how much interest you'd really technically earn and how you would divide that between the number of much right now. Pennies. patients. I mean, it's probably but, pennies, right? Yeah, but, but it's a legal obligation. Yeah. True. But the request um, from Richard Espinosa is that we would set up, open up bank accounts at the various, at a bank closer to the facility. Sure. And so we're working on the policy and procedures that if we relinquish the controls out of the accounting department and moved it back at a facility level, how would we still have internal control around that? It just feels very administratively heavy. Yeah. Uh, for such a mm -hmm. small pool of money for folks. Is this a requirement that we... It's a requirement yes. in the SNF world. Yeah, it is. Okay. Very, very common. And is it because people don't have their own accounts and you're or, accumulating or SSI dollars? Or? It's a piece of that, or sometimes they don't have a family member. Okay. Or somebody so it's a representative. service for people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they periodically want to make a withdrawal from this account so that they can buy cokes or candy yeah, or, or, or yeah, clothes. personal yeah. items. Uh, so it's kind of a uh, well, it's it's an administrative burden on us, but it's something that's required for the patients in order to stay here. Yeah, it's, it's can't, a, can't, a, can't, can't be challenging because right. uh, people sometimes want to hold on to all their money. You know, right. I could just and, see all and, sorts of And issues. then what yeah. happens is then they end up having to share a cost. And, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that's, you know, that's just part of how it works. <laughs> and as we've grown, so before when accounting was in the, on the Fairmont campus and the SNF was like literally the building next to us. Right. It was very easy to work together. Now that we're, you know, we've got two more SNFs and we're yep. pretty spread out. It's and accounting not, is centralized. Uh, yeah, and we're all centralized in a different location. So yeah. it's just not, it's not yeah, flowing yeah. well. That's so what I was saying. It's, it's each, each SNF did it a little differently. Yeah. And, you know, using petty cash and doling out money and getting receipts and like, oh. Uh, so there was a lot of work trying to reconcile all this and make sure we knew exactly how much uh, money each patient had and then going to, to set up this, these other accounts uh, so that we can get control over it. Yeah. So it looks like we're not going to meet the target date of June 30th in terms of uh, setting up the interest. No, because Richard actually just told me last week which banks he wants me to reach out to. Okay. 
to open the accounts, and then that will probably take a little bit of time because we'll have to yeah. have some sort of a resolution to open the account. Like yeah, it'll be done before the next meeting. Okay. It'll be. No. It's three months. Yeah, but we're probably going to have to go through a meeting cycle in order to get a bank resolution. Oh. So, by the end of the year. <laughs> what is that? You After the do, audit. You have to do what? <laughs> I'm almost sure. It's been a while, but I'm uh, sure if I go to Bank of America, which is one of the banks that uh -huh. he's chosen, I'm going to have to have some corporate resolution, corporate resolution to will. be able to open up a bank account. I'm right. nice, but I don't think they'll let me just do yeah. it on my word. Yeah. Uh, I, unfortunately, okay. I've been involved in some where they have let them open them up, and it turned out to be a, uh, Ill, you know, illegal transaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the bank, the banks are very uh, um, careful about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll work on a revised date for that. Okay. That would be good. Uh, so, item two was. There were five patients that exceeded the SSI limits uh, as of 331. Uh, those have all been resolved. They've uh, got the patients to pay down their uh, balances and are all in compliance. Uh, item three, uh, the account reconciliations were not current and those have been completed. So that was all for patient trusts. Okay. Uh, 340B, uh, again, we've been looking at this a lot because of the uh, potential exposure. Uh, we were doing random audits and we kept seeing the error rate going up, up, up. Uh, but we've worked with uh, patient accounting and IT and identified the issues that were causing these missing modifiers and uh, corrected all of those and the last audit that we did in May for both uh, Highland and Alameda Hospital showed zero percent error rates. All right. So I was like, oh, thank goodness. Uh, I, I never expected it to actually get down to zero, but I wanted it to be point something. Yeah. Uh, and as you can see for the uh, Highland one, it was 0.3% in uh, April and 0% in May. And we've uh, pended doing the monthly audit for June because we were working on quantifying uh, the potential liability if we have to uh, repay manufacturers on that. And uh, at Alameda Hospital, we actually identified 3,500 claims that we sent back to patient accounting saying, okay, these are all within the current time frame, reprocess those, correct them before we have any liability. And so they've been reprocessing all of those items. Lots of, a lot of claims. Okay, uh, so other reports, the annual plan is 95% complete. Uh, I have several audits that are out in draft uh, that I'm trying to get finalized now. Uh, I have one audit, uh, which is the Oak Care Grants and uh, Research Projects, which has been kind of like looking for needles in haystack because uh, the program has been in such disarray that I'm sifting through uh, volumes of documentation trying to identify exactly what's going on there, but I'm, I'm trying to get that wrapped up and working with uh, uh, legal grants, contracting to uh, and, and the IRB to kind of revamp the process to mm -hmm. make sure that we have control over it. And uh, meanwhile, the IRB is uh, working on, on uh, building a database of all the the grants and research projects that are in process right now uh, because it's been a paper system up until this year and nobody really had control of it. Hey, Rick, could you advance the slide? Oh. Yes, that helps. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
So compliance program assessment, uh, completed 30 of the 36 recommendations, which is all I can do at the present time. Uh, I've got uh, four outstanding issues that involve uh, departmental staffing and uh, external assessment of the compliance program to make sure I'm uh, in compliance with best practices. And both of those require funding, uh, which is not in the cards at the present time. Okay? And uh, compliance issues still looks the same. Uh, if you saw the graph, uh, the level of reports coming in continues to be high. Uh, the level outstanding continues to be high. Uh, it seems like I resolve about as many as I get in, but that doesn't decrease the inventory. And some of the issues uh, seem to be getting meatier uh, and require a little bit more time to uh, resolve. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so follow up on outstanding findings. Uh, continues to improve. We only had 25 open issues uh, compared to the 35 last month, but this is after adding new items to the list. So every time I come here, I'm going to add all the reports that uh, have been presented uh, to that list until everything gets resolved. So we keep adding things, but we're closing them out. And uh, 15 of the 25 open issues are relating to uh, the EPIC implementation. Uh, getting computer screens, uh, getting Wave ID on, on printers, that all of that should be resolved by the time EPIC gets implemented. It's just that uh, with all the chaos of the implementation right now, some of those things are getting delayed. Okay. Uh, I think I did a bad job. This is my first time in, in board advantage, and I think I labeled some things wrong, but the next item would be uh-oh. Uh this isn't in there. Did I miss the presentation? Do I not have uh, the risk assessment in here? I have it. On, we have it. Yeah. Internal audit and compliance. I may have yeah. accidentally missed it on the overhead. I'll get it today. Which one is it? What item number? Uh, it's me. It's, it's page, page 57. 57. Okay. Yeah. My apologies. So I, I think the overhead ended at that point, but if you have the risk assessment, uh, so I updated the risk assessment for last year. We had uh, 211 risk areas that we uh, evaluated, and that's on page 60. Uh, and I used my uh, risk ranking formula to come up with uh, what I consider to be the high risks of the organization, uh, and those are portrayed on page 57. Uh, and I just added a couple of them, the high-ranking or the medium-ranked ones that were close, just as, so you could see what those are. Uh, I couldn't figure out your color coding. There's yellow and there's blue. Is there a differential well, there? Well, my copy isn't color-coded, but... <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so one of those, the legend at the bottom, uh, they're addressed in the annual plan this year versus oh, they were okay. in recently completed or in-process reviews. Got it. Uh, so what I did was I tried to disposition all of the ones that are on there and say, I'm doing something right now, I just did something, or I'm putting something on the plan this year. So uh, like... IT security should really be towards the bottom of that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a 204. And EPIC or AHP 
Then 340B were the top ranked items. Uh, so I'm. So what I've done is taken all these items and said either I've handled them or I'm going to handle them. Uh, so if you look at page 62, it shows what my plan is going to look like for 2020. Mm -hmm. And I've got the, the dis little brief description of what those areas are. Uh, so once EPIC gets implemented, I'm going to be doing a bunch of spot reviews, looking at different processes. There's been a lot of involvement from management in putting uh, the build together, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it does exactly what it's supposed to do. And so I intend to, to do as many reviews as I can of EPIC to make sure that it's processing the way it's supposed to uh, and that it's better than current state. Okay. Okay. Self-funded benefit programs. I want to make sure we're capturing everything and that we're uh, booking stuff right. And I know that some of that's going to be looked at, uh, especially the reserve part by Moss Adams. But uh, I just want to make sure that those are uh, as profitable as we think they are, uh, and yeah. that we're doing the right thing by doing self-funding. Uh, denial management. I want to make sure that we're, when we get things denied, we're looking at that to say why and can't, do we have a chance to appeal and rebuild those things? Uh, or is it a processing issue? Where's that done? Is it done on a billing? It's in the billing area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they have a separate uh, denials unit that's supposed to look at everything, but I don't know how, how robust that process is. Right. Just like the, when I looked at the FQHC stuff, I saw denials because we didn't have a modifier on there. Well, you know, a year after the fact, why am I spotting that yeah. when it could be caught in billing yeah. and fixed right away because they see it coming through on a denial? Makes sense. Uh, so I just want to make sure that they're, that they're identifying those kind of issues and asking for corrections. Uh, so AHP and Oak Care financial arrangements, uh, I really want to look at how we capture the items for that, uh, that AHP gets the credit for the services they provide, uh, and that everyone is compensated the way they're supposed to according to the contract. And is this in retrospect? Because we're changing those relationships, right? Uh, so it's basically... Uh, some of it will be retrospective, some of it will be going forward because it uh, depends on exactly how the contract is worded, but uh, it's my understanding that part of the arrangement with AHP is that we account for all the services billed and we're moving towards uh, an RVU reimbursement right. model, so that means you have to capture the services. Right. Uh, so they get credit for RVUs and we compensate them appropriately. So I, I just want to make sure that we have those processes in place so that they're accurate. And so yeah. I thought, and, and, and so I think uh, to, to be a little bit more precise, the it's it's an issue that you know right now sort of exists in the relationship between AHP and OCARE. Going forward, it's an issue that will exist in the relationship between AHS and AHP or it's new kind of code or, or whatever the future because you know the intent you know at some point is that that organization would also be RVU based as well and so this is so actually looking at what has happened here you know you know both retrospectively and over the course of the next year since that will still be in operation until uh, June of next year will at least provide you know some information about as we get to the point, you know, perhaps sometime next year of uh, either modifying or perhaps redoing the, uh, the agreement between AHS and the provider organization. Got it. Okay. That's, that's where I was going. Thank you. Okay, then 340B, I, I put it yeah. on there because I'm going to keep beating that horse. <laughs> and 
until it wins the race. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to make a comment that just in my experience, you get to zero, it doesn't mean you're there. True. Does it stick, right? Is that it, just a one-off month? The, the drugs in the program change every month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if uh, they make a change in the CDM, uh, the charge master, it, they could mess it up again. Right. Uh, and then when we go to EPIC, we're going to be starting all over again. How do you, how do you capture this items in EPIC and how do I validate that right. we're still doing it right? Because yeah. it's going to be a whole new world. Makes sense. So I'll, I'll keep looking at that. Uh, looking at change management, just because we seem to make system changes and, and the testing isn't as robust as I would like it to be. Uh, because then we start encountering other issues. It's like you plug the dike in one place and it pops out someplace else. So I want to look at that process to make sure it's robust enough. Uh, and then we've got uh, exclusion screening. We're going to continue to do privacy reviews. We've got a lot of those. Uh, looking at password complexity and uh, changes. You know, how often do we have to change those? What are our requirements? Uh, we've got all these systems with different uh, login requirements, so kind of standardize the approach to that from a security standpoint. And then looking generally at our, our security program. So those are the things I've got on tap the for the year. Security physical security? Physical security. Well, no, no computer security. Computer security. Yeah. I'm sorry? Computer security. Got it, sorry. So we have a penetration review that's done every year, uh, and we haven't had any uh, breaches that we know about, but I'm not sure if that's uh, because we're really that good or because we've been lucky, but I want to kind of look at our overall program to make sure that we're doing the right stuff and uh, that we have controls in place so we don't have exposure in the future. Very important these days. Yeah. yeah. I assume we're adequately covered insurance-wise for cyber coverage. We we do have cyber coverage, but we don't want to test it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, ac actually, as a matter of uh, this year, so we just renewed our coverage, um, and uh, it was actually doubled uh, from... Okay a uh, prior $5 million aggregate to $10 million aggregate, and then, you know, there's various pieces of the insurance, you know, so it covers the notification piece in terms of, you know, breach issues, um, communications experts, IT experts, all that sort of thing, so. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay, so all that stuff is laid out on the uh, project plan on page 62. Got it. And that is uh, an action item for the committee. So we go ahead and approve it, or you want to make a motion? Um, sorry, we're approving the, the plan for the, the year. internal. Oh, your plan, plan. right? Yeah. I, I, so move plan. <laughs> Second. <laughs> okay. I hear a vote on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Because we like to hear ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so the rest of the stuff was written material. Did you have any questions about those written reports? I don't think so. Did you? I didn't. I mean, well, maybe I did. Uh, just generally with the <coughs> compliance reporting, you know, it's sort of a paradox, right? It's good that we're seeing an increase in the amount of reporting. The troubling thing seems to be the, the seriousness of uh, incidents. Is that a wrong impression? Uh, there have been some that are, are rather significant. Cold Blue, Acute Care Tower, 7th floor. Cold Blue, Acute Care Tower, 7th floor. So uh, I think that some of this is the fact that in the past we didn't have the infrastructure to report these kind of things and uh, a lot of employees uh, were afraid of retaliation. Mm -hmm. And even though we have a, a non-retaliation policy, uh, they didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things that as 
I've continued to uh, roll out the compliance program and communicate uh, and then through Leadership Academy and getting management more aware of what's going on and trying to get them to take it back to their staffs that we have a program and, and being more visible, I think that we're getting things uh, that are rising to the surface that didn't get uh, brought up before. Makes sense. Uh, and we're addressing those things and we're you know showing some positive strides. So I just think that uh, the program is, is getting uh, more uh, robust. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It, it's getting more impetus. It's it's so people are, are adopting it. More. Right. You have more and, trust being built. There. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Good. I mean, the, the program is four years old now. And other than doing some privacy uh, complaints uh, prior to that, there really wasn't uh, a, a the infrastructure for compliance. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay. Anything okay. else? Nope, that was it. Okay. Do you yeah. have anything to you want? I don't. Okay. You want to move that we... I would move that we... Uh, <laughs> I, I second. <laughs> well, it's yeah. not four o'clock yet. We, we have to go over. Look at that. You. <laughs> There's paybacks. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, we had talked about um, having the meetings at three and looking into that. That sounds like yeah. So, do, how's that work for the two of you? No, it, it's fine. I, today, I just for some reason mm -hmm. I didn't have it on the calendar, and I was in another okay. meeting. Oh no, I just. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's you have fine. a few things on your calendar. <laughs> no, no, we, 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 it'll work. Okay. Well, so, the, the only thing yeah. I would say so. You know, these meetings have typically been on the same day as the finance meetings right. because there was a point at which the um, the membership of, of this committee sort of overlapped with finance. It does um, still. I, I think I would would continue um, in my recommendation that the board think carefully about the membership of these two committees in that the in, in many respects, the audit committee, to some extent, serves as oversight or additional oversight with the finance committee. Okay. And so, you know, in the nonprofit world, we there are there are strict rules which preclude having this sort of overlapping membership. Uh, but we're not a nonprofit, so it's not you know necessarily the same. Issue. Best practices. But yeah, so I think that you know it's something the board you know should continue to look at, and you know perhaps you know in the you know uh, the uh, board evaluation or something a, a subject to revisit. But uh, so I just want to give that. That's why we you know. Yeah, had it on the same day. So if the if the membership were to change at some point where it, it is not such overlapping, then this it might be a, an entirely Bible different day altogether for the This is a cancellation message for the Cold Blue Acute Care Tower 7th floor. But for for now, having it at three o'clock is not an issue. So, Rhonda, mm -hmm. okay. So we're we're closed. 